Hey everybody, you're very welcome to this week's episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast. Most recently we had Shane Smith on talking about the difficulties in children's sport. And this extra episode was someone who got in touch with me a few months ago who had a good news story in terms of children's sport. And his name was Kieran McFadden and he wanted to tell me about an initiative that he set up about how to address the competitiveness, the streaming issues, and some other difficulties. I really enjoyed chatting to Kieran, and I hope you enjoy listening to him too. So I'll let you listen to myself and Kieran McFadden discussing children's sport. Hey everybody, and very welcome to this week's episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast. As people who know from listening to the podcast, I would be a, a critical fan of children's sport. There's elements of children's sport that I believe to be truly life-saving, uh, and in other areas where pressure and competition can come into it, it can really uh, end a child's engagement or healthy relationship with sport. And so I've always been passionate about the way in which we approach children's sport and the way we engage in its culture. And I wrote a column in the Irish Examiner in mid-August about how I was impressed by the summer camp culture. I, I know from my own children who had attended various school camps and soccer camps and sports camps, how they really enjoyed the week of, of play really uh, and I think the idea that there was no kind of two times a week training and there wasn't championships and medals and pressure that they really seemed to, to thrive in it and I was just lamenting the fact that there doesn't seem to be anything like that uh, going on all year round uh, and my next guest was somebody who got in touch with me after he'd read that column and had talked to me about an, an initiative that he's involved in and so it's great pleasure that I get to chat today uh, to Kieran Fadden. And Kieran is involved in Emerald Soccer, and he's going to tell us all about that initiative. Uh, but first of all, Kieran, welcome to the podcast. How are you keeping? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it was a great article that I just seen on Twitter by by chance. It wasn't I wasn't following yourself, but you weren't following me. I think whoever it was, someone retweeted, and I read it, and I was like. This is pretty much what we're doing. Like so, uh, yeah, it was a great article. I think it was highly relevant as well. So, can you tell us a bit about Kieran, your involvement in sport uh, in general, as in leading up, and what led you to think about Emerald and and how it ever came about? Yeah, of course. Um, well, look, I've always played football, soccer being my uh, being my number one sport. I'm a fan of everything. I'm a big football fan. I like watching men's football, women's, whether that's Champions League, League of Ireland, Championship in England, Premier League. So I've always been a big fan. I've always played all the way through. And my attitude was kind of bigger, than, greater than my ability as such growing up. And um, long story short, as I was finishing up at under 17s, 18s, and kind of making that trans transfer towards the senior game, uh, I'd done a couple of coaching badges with... Um, couple of coaches of mine, I was at Walkingtown Athletic at the time, and uh, they basically, long story short, one of them already had their badges, the club was willing to send two members of staff, so they said, look, do you want to get involved, I know you want to coach, and um, I went, done my coaching badges, done my kickstart one and kickstart two, over maybe a three or four month period, and I met a gentleman by the name of Paul Martin from the FAI, who I was only 18 at the time, who said, look, kind of, I don't know whether he spotted something or whatever, but he said, look, you're, you've definitely improved a lot from, from, um, Kicks out one to kicks out two. I've got a team down in Drimna, St. John Bosco in Drimna. Would you like to get involved? And I went down there and coached there for five years. I probably made every mistake under the sun down there and, and I learned an awful lot. And it's only really now as I'm kind of in my early 30s that I realized what I learned and what I developed as a person and as a coach doing that. So that, that was my introduction to coaching. Done that for five years. Moved to America, done a small bit of coaching over there uh, in North Carolina. Came back, moved to England, done a 
uh, kind of on and off two years in England, working with a variety of different uh, coaching clubs over there and kind of took little bits of everything that I kind of learned or came across uh, to to bring together the brand and the coaching club that is Emerald Soccer. So basically with a full and confidence-based soccer coaching club. Now that doesn't mean that everyone gets a high five no matter what they do, but it's more so um, it's more so about the kids getting out there, participating. And the more I do it, and I'm doing, doing it now five or six years, that the more I realize that Emerald Soccer is actually replacing what I've done on the street in many ways. It's like, and it's only really the last couple of years that I've noticed that, that it's like, everyone talks about the kids on the street. You're not playing tip to can. You're not playing football. Like for me as a kid, you just had a football every day and that, that, that's what you've done. Or someone had a football. And it just the more I realize it, or if I get kids that come to me that are maybe have a strong ability, I, I always tell their parents, like, this is replacing what we used to do on the street. Everyone trained two, three times a week. That's normal. That's never going to go. But what has gone is just playing for a bit of fun, a bit of crack. Does everybody want to win? Of course they do. That's the first thing that anyone wants to do. If me and you have a game of heads and volleys, I want to beat you. But do we win at all costs? No, we don't. Do you get more game time because you're better than me? No, you don't. Everyone's kind, everyone's equal, everyone's level, and, and there's no kind of there's no focusing just on the better player. And I think it's a good opportunity, really. Like And was it in something in I mean, obviously you've you've a whole catalogue of experiences in England and you in the US and here. Was there things that you were kind of seeing that were gaps in in the children's sporting culture? And you kind of said there's a there's room for this, or uh, how did it come about? And who, yeah, who, yeah. who plays Emerald? Who comes to you? Yeah, so basically the children that any like anyone comes to us, we've had lads and girls who've gone to play League of Ireland. I was at a couple of League of Ireland games not too long ago. And three weeks in a row, I went to three different games in the same venue. And I seen a child on the opposing team that was that had come through Emerald. So that was and that was League of Ireland underage. And then I've I've been walking around Dundrum and Shopping Centre, Blanchestown Shopping Centre, and I'd see kids, you know, in a non-football environment. So we take on any children. It doesn't matter. And as I said, it's just that extra benefit to play, to play football with your friends, because most children are trained two, three times a week. And they are not playing any any other time uh, throughout the week, you know. And uh, we I remember we had a goalkeeper in down in Carlo when he came to us. I'm a goalkeeper. He played for whatever it was, the, the local, you know, strong side. And he said, I, I want to practice with my footwork. I thought that that was brilliant. Like, okay, grand. So I'm not going to put an extra emphasis on him going to goal because he's trying to improve his footwork. So that worked out really, really well, you know. And um, we're open to everybody. All like all different types of children will come along to Emerald Soccer and. Uh, yeah, we're based all over Leinster as well. So we, we're in a different place every day. It's not like we're just in Walkinstown and we just, you know, we're, we're in a variety of different places. And how does it work? Is it is it kids who are with other clubs and just want to play for fun? Is it kids who don't have a club? Is it kids that are just trying it out for the first time? Or how, how do you manage the kind of mixed levels of ability? Right, yeah. So the way it works for us is basically, if I was to take an average course, three hours long, we start at five o'clock, finish at eight. At five o'clock, we'd have the four to six-year-olds. At uh, six o'clock, we'd have the seven and eight-year-olds. And then from uh, seven to eight, we'll have the nine to 11-year-olds, some 12-year-olds. What we do find is the majority of our kids will be under the age of eight. Probably about 70% of our kids will be under eight. And these kids will be learning how to play football. This will be before a team. This would be kind of like what clubs call their nursery as such. So it's before you join a team. Um, so I think we do really, really well in that aspect. You know, we do a lot of uh, ball manipulation. So basically just 
controlling the ball, dribbling with the football. That there's a big emphasis on that. We we obviously make sure that the kids are going getting ample game times. They're going to be playing lots of matches, uh, and it's more so guided coaching than actual stop, stand still, and coaching properly because you just want the kids before they can even pass the ball. You want them to be able to manipulate the ball, have the ball at their feet, and be comfortable with the ball with the right with the right and left foot. It needs to become like what a knife and fork is. Or maybe what an iPhone is nowadays to some mm-hmm. kids, but like it needs to just be natural. Uh, I remember reading a thing on Glenn Hoddle, and he was speaking about it in, his, in one of his academies, and he was saying, "You've children learn to pass the ball, but they can't manipulate the ball with both feet. You just want the kids to have the ball at the feet, just like we done when we were walking home. You'd be on the green with your mates, you'd play football for five hours, and what would you? Do? You'd walk home with the ball at your feet, dribbling. The kids don't do that anymore. That's gone. And mm-hmm. uh, the older kids, then for us, we do find a." a a mix of children then from kind of that nine to 11. Um, but once again, it can be any ability, any standard. And we do have a mixture of abilities and standards. And a lot of our stuff we would focus on, like, you know, working as a team, working together. The best player doesn't play outfield all the time. The, the best goalkeeper doesn't play in goal all the time as well. We mix it up and get everybody involved. So it's not just like, oh, Johnny's a good player. You know, we don't let the children, everybody's equal. Everyone does the same amount of time in goal, outside. And then we do a few different competitions, like penalty shootout competitions and, a couple of little things that aren't like that are not like win at all costs, you know. Mm. It's enjoy yourself. If you win that, you get an extra trophy, and it's a bit of fun more so than than anything else, you know. And Kieran, have you? I'm gathering from what you're saying, you have co- coached at the competitive level as well for for the, for the kids. Yeah, who are. yeah. I'm back in St John Bosco <clears throat> now, and I'm also at Stratford College. Just started recently in Stratford College, so like I understand that kind of winning mentality. We want to win, but. That should be starting kind of 13s, 14s, and it should be enjoy winning as opposed to winning at all costs, in my opinion. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand League of Ireland level and this, this. I don't want to use the word elite because it's not elite. Um, mm. But this kind of competitive level, I understand that comes, but there's a huge gap. Children are playing football from, in the like, I know over in Scotland, they have them at 18 months. There's a few different companies that take them really young. So let's just say if a kid starts playing at three or four, that's 10 years what goes in? What goes on there? Do we tell the kids you have to win every game? Do you mm. tell the kids that oh you're not doing enough this week? Sorry, no. You want the kids to enjoy and like and to develop themselves as a person and as a player. And mm. uh, another big thing as well is that I find what's happening more and more often is that clubs are taking not taking children on, so they'll take the best 10, 12, 14, 16, whatever that may be. But surely for football, soccer in Ireland. You want the culture to be that everybody plays. So if I bring my football out to the green, to my local green, and I'm eight years old, I want all my other mates to have footballs. doesn't matter what ability they are. If I bring my football out and I have a get lad with a hurl and a lad with a Gaelic ball and a lad with a badminton racket, they're all not going to play the same sport. And surely there's more power in numbers. The government will then back the, back the football association in that sense if they have more people playing football. The more people playing the sport, no matter what the standard, they're going to be paying the same subs, the same subscription, and ultimately, you're gonna have, it, it's going to be power in numbers. And I think that that's massive if you want to go down to the other end of things and getting uh, academies, proper academies, and, and making kind of an industry out of football as well. So actually getting our um, grassroots players to continue playing is just as important as getting our League of Ireland underage to, to mm. play all the way through the 19th, if that makes sense. You know it I does. Mean? And, and in terms of the... I mean, I, I have a few ideas around children's sport and I, I kind of saw the COVID thing as a kind of a chance or an opportunity to kind of look at it you know maybe when yeah, we, yeah. as we reboard could we address it and I, I have to say that the, 
the interest that I have in it is because I think there's two types of children. You know, there's, there are children who are competitive and want to win. And they're, yeah. they do like training twice a week and the match on Saturday and they engage in that. And they're brilliant. All for them. You know, fantastic. There's others who like that would like to play on the street. You know, they'd like the, the kicking around. Like what I would have done, I never played soccer for a club. I went, played with Newtown Rangers twice and I was a sub for both times and I just said, I, I will leave it be. Yeah, yeah. But I would, I'd still play five aside now and I'd be fairly okay at it because I've played on the road and played on the street and all that stuff. But now you're either in the club or you don't play it at all. Yeah, you know that, I mean? that, that, that's something that I think is huge. And as I said, like when I first set this up, it was more of an idea for me to be a coach and to, to take this fun and confidence base and make it a full-time job. That was mm. initially. And then as you're doing it, you're realizing there's this big gap, this big gap, whether it's before you play or whether this big gap of not good enough for a team level. Mm. And you think to yourself, hold on a minute here. Why, why can't we have more, I don't mean more teams, but more, more um, exposure to playing football? I mean, how many adults play five-a-side mm. at night? How many? Probably way more than what plays league, like in terms of teams. If people mm. are doing it for work, people who've never kicked the ball in their life, they get involved. There's a social aspect to it. There's a, definitely a big social aspect with Emerald, you know. What we get is parents meeting parents, you know, that kind of element to it. Now, obviously, with COVID, it's been a bit challenging, but mm. parents used to come in with a cup of coffee and watch the kids playing football, having mm. a good time, with smile, coming in with a smile, leaving with a bigger smile, you know, as opposed to maybe going training and be like, oh, the manager was a bit at me this week and I didn't play quite well. Now, look, if a kid's doing something blatantly wrong, mm. that's the technique. If he's passing the ball with his toe or if mm. she's passing the ball or she's, she's heading the ball with the back of her head, you obviously address that. That's fine, but it's not done in a do it or you're out. Mm-hmm. It's done in a this is how to do it. Look, well done, you've done well, and then they kind of go, they they they, they kind of feed off that energy and enthusiasm from the coaches. Yeah, I can remember a, a real great coach of mine saying, you know, if you're going to criticize, you have to advise. You know, you yeah, have to yeah, say yeah, rather probably. than saying you're in the wrong area, tell them where they should be instead. Yeah, and you're a bit kind of going discovery it. and stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, kind of ask them, kind of get them to figure it out before you tell them. You know. And Kieran, my idea or notion around it was was to try and kind of build on your idea of the Emerald model and have it for the older ones. So the, the 14, 15, 16, because I do think there's a huge drop off at that point. I mean, when you get into junior certs and exams and yeah. they find well, alcohol and, and nights out and girls and all that. Girls stuff. being the main thing now, but it seems to be like their clothes and their fashion and gym mm. and stuff like that. But what I would say, there's definitely an, an intimidation aspect at that age. I find, as I said, I work at a couple of schools and uh, I definitely think it's like, oh, I would play, but is so-and-so playing because they're a player for a certain level of a team. So, and you got to be careful with that as well. So my opinion on that would be, why don't we set the culture off as kids? So they go to, let's just say, Emerald Soccer, and they do that all the way through. And then I, the problem for me personally with my business is that I can't promote from to primary schools and to secondary schools. Like I've had a problem a couple of times before where someone in first year has come to my 9 to 11 group because he's a little bit younger or she's a little bit younger. And it's not fair, you know, and you feel sorry mm. for the kid because ultimately they don't want to join a team. They don't want mm-hmm. it. Like we got into a big thing where a lot, a lot of lads who play Gaelic or a lot of girls that play Gaelic come to us, I don't want to join a football team, but I like mm. playing football, you know? Mm-hmm. And it keeps them in the cycle, it keeps them learning, it keeps them networking, and it keeps them improving as a player, ultimately. But, like, mm. I do feel like it needs to be a culture that starts from the bottom. Um, I know with futsal, there's a bit of a push for that, which is really, really good technical game. The, 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 um, Can you explain football. what that is? Yeah, so that... futsal is like, 
Um, I actually done an inductory course on it not too long ago. So it's five aside. It's very. It's obviously similar to uh, football in the sense that you know there's uh, two goalkeepers and you score a goal. You know it's one one point for a goal and whatnot. Um, it's rolling sub- substitutions. I know uh, at kind of a top level, each player would only play two or three minutes. They exit and enter the pitch from the same point, uh, and it's a weighted ball. Now you're kind of instructed to control the ball with the sole of your foot, which is not something that would be done too much in football in the sense of actually your initial touch. You put your sole of your foot on the ball. A lot of the passing is done with the sole of your foot. It's a really technical game. If you have a look at um, some of the players, like, I mean, there's so many quotes. A lot of the Spanish lads, but like Thiago, uh, even if you watch him playing for Liverpool, he actually always seems to control the ball with the sole of his foot from futsal. That's Neymar, Messi, like literally all, all the top foreign players have been big pushed into this. And a lot of the smaller nations in Europe, in UEFA now, they're actually pushing it as well because it's a real technical game. So I do think ourselves or like in the FAI or whatever it might be, I know there is going to be a big push for that. Look, it's an indoor sport. Sport in Lisbon won the Champions League last year against Barcelona. It was an amazing game. Like really, really, really high tempo. Two or three minutes and you're off. Like, I mean, you know, you'd be wrecked. Like, so it's good. And the good thing about that is everyone gets a game. Everyone's going to play. And it's really technical. So it's going to improve the technical areas so young. Now, the problem with that is people don't know exactly what it is. Mm. They don't know if they're good enough, if you know what I mean. And you don't want that attitude. So whether it goes down the indoor football route or whether it goes down the futsal route or both, Mm. I do think it's a massive opportunity. I just don't see how playing an extra hour a week or two hours a week can do anything bad. If you told me you had a guitar, but you only practice when you're in your lessons, you know, you go home and you practice again. If you keep practicing the guitar, you'll get better, even if you're teaching yourself with YouTube or something. So with football, we, we don't have that. We only have my team, my training, and then the kids are, I don't know what they're doing, computer games and whatnot nowadays. And as I said, having that culture of going to an Emerald Soccer type uh, program as a kid will then make it normal. Because I definitely know that as a teenager, I don't play football. I don't play for a team. I can't play football. Well, maybe you can actually. How about you just get involved here? And then it brings on so much more in terms of networking, meeting people. Like, I mean, anyone that's involved in any sport, like I've met so many different people through sport. The list is endless, whether that's professionally, academically, uh, socially, all through sport, all through football and whatnot. And like, I just think that that will begin to get lost because they're only going to play for the one team. And that whole race to the top is getting more and more like prevalent or, you know, obvious mm. or whatever the word would be. And if we're thinking about, Addressing that issue going forward, like how do we, like if, if we're going to judge teams by not the silverware in their trophy cabinet, but how many players they still have playing into their 30s, do you know what I mean, from the point of view yeah. of, of participation, is that a cultural thing that has to happen? And my last question to you, because uh, I'm conscious of, of your time, but no, no. The, the issue is coaches, right? And, and my yeah. question around coaches, because I think there's a difference between a coach can have a huge impact on the culture of a team. Do you know what I mean? In terms of, and I wonder, is there a will to provide coaching for fun that doesn't have medals and prizes or is part of the, 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 the the desire to be a coach about seeing children go well. I I always remember a friend of mine, uh, Shane Smith, he speaks heavily about this sort of stuff. And he said, like, say on a Sunday, the kids playing the local rivals and they lose three o'clock in the afternoon the kids are out on their bike and it's the coach who's sitting in on the couch wondering how it all went wrong you know it's almost that we take it more seriously than them but how do we address that is that something that needs addressing and how 
would we move the culture of children's sport to be more participation based? And that's and, and I know there's lads who'd say you won't win any county championships with that attitude. You know that that there is yeah, a kind yeah. of a, a an idea that we do want to create the Kelly Harringtons and the the Leona McGuire's. Yeah, no, of and course, all that, of course, know? of course. Um, but how do we manage to? satisfy both of those demands i know it's a big question but and what what is it at a coaching level that we can do um for myself personally it's a it is a difficult question to answer right as i said before if me and you go and play a game of whatever we get five lads if, when you're playing your five aside, you still want to win yes you keep of course score, yep. we're one up so no matter what if i look out my window now and there's kids playing world cup they're not playing to they're playing to win mm. but it's that winning at all costs that afraid to lose that's the problem so kids will always want to win that's 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 not an issue but i suppose what first of all participation in numbers is massive they do a thing in sweden i was was listening to a good podcast there a couple of weeks ago there's an irish lad i forget his name michael o'sullivan or connor something like that anyway he's at aik and he looks after the underage aik which is like the biggest club in sweden basically and long story short they get x amount of money from the government depending on how many participants they have. Now, they don't just do football. They do like handball and netball, whatever it is. So they have multiple sports. Okay, that might be a little bit difficult in Ireland, but fair enough, all right? Um, but imagine if, if each club in Ireland knew they got X amount of money per child. Do you think they'd have a B, C, D, E, F, J? T- of course mm-hmm. they will. Because mm-hmm. the lad who's going to play for Ireland and play for Man United, he's worth the same amount of money as the lad who's never kicked a ball in his life. Do you get me? And, yes. and it's not money. It's not fu- It's funding into mm. getting, getting better if we so in that case so if we start taking more children on and then generating more money for our sport that means that we get more money for our sport which means potentially we're able to pay our coaches which means potentially our coaches can commit to being a coach as a job which means they're going to put more effort time into that so why don't they coach three nights a week in the fun happy like confidence boosting way and then two nights a week in maybe your league of Ireland on the 17th so you're doing a bit of both. Do you get me? Yeah. So, that makes sense? so you're kind of scratching both, both itches as such. Mm. I know that I've done five years of, well, it was an under eight team up there, under 13. They skipped because the DDSL switched over. Um, but anyway, it ended up being five years. And towards the end, it was it was, it was was competitive. Under 13, it was 11 mm. aside. And then I went into an Emerald for six years. And it was all fun and confidence based. And I missed that competitive edge as well. But I'm mm. doing both. So I'm getting the boat of best of both worlds. So why do we... So basically, I suppose what I'm saying is more players playing, better backing from the government, which means more money in the system, which means maybe we can start to pay people. And that's when people start to say, you know what, I'm going to do my UA for C. I'm going to do my UA for B. I'm going to move up the ladder. And then these um, these culture badges, which cost a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, will actually be worth something financially for you in your pocket. Now, someone, and I've had people argue before, oh, you meant to do it for the love of the game. Of course you're doing it for the love of the game. You can't do it five nights a week for the love of the game. If you no. do it five nights a week for the love of the game and don't work, there's going to be repercussions in that sense. If you're working and have a, and do a five nights a week and have a wife and two kids, there's going to be someone's losing out here. And you have your mm. coaches born out, born out, born out. Imagine if you didn't have burnout and you just coast and you were mm. getting some type of reasonable wage. But does that does that make sense? Like yeah, and I think there is. I, I know that in Iceland they had the similar thing where they they, exactly. they got rid of volunteerism because people were kind of saying, "Oh, sure, he's given up his own time and yeah. he's here." And I know he shouts at the kids and he goes mad, but sure, none of us are willing to co- step up and take it on instead, you know. And so the kind yeah, of they've got UA to B coaches there mm. coaching under trees. 
like yeah. literally under trees mm. and fours. I read a great book on it. I think it's against the elements. Really, really good book. A guy who followed lived in Iceland or whatever, spent time in Iceland. He followed them around the world, around their uh, Euros and World Cup. It was actually the World Cup, and uh, he was basically going into the Icelandic football. Excellent book. Really, really good. And it was so informative in that sense. Like. UEFA B coaches coaching under trees and fours. Why? Because mm. there's an industry in it. Now, I don't know how heavily backed it is from the government, but that's kind of the road that we need or, or certain mm. sponsorship. And the way we're doing that is by turning around and saying, we've got six teams per age. They're mm. all playing football every week. They're happy. And why not have it that they train twice a week? Here's one for you. So they train with their coaches twice a week as normal. Mm. I know some do three. Why not have somebody, I'm not going to say like myself, but, but somebody comes in mm. on, on, a, on another day and trains like two or three age, group, age groups at a time because there's another thing where everyone's getting put into age groups so early. Mm. Well, I know I've done a couple of courses with the English FA and they have three ages. It's like the day you're born, your sport age, and then there's another, I think it's academic or something like that. Three mm. certain words for it. But basically, if I've never played football and I'm 10, I'm not the same age as the kid who's played football since he's three. Yes, yes, of course yes, I'm yes. not. Mm-hmm. So like with Emerald, we've got four to six-year-olds then seven and eight-year-olds and then nine to 11. So there's a bigger gap um, who did you play against as a kid on the street? You didn't go around asking who was born in the year mm. you were born. You <laughs> played against whoever had the ball, whoever was there. And I know you, you know smaller players learn to play against bigger players. Bigger players learn how to play against more challenging, quicker players, or whatever it may mm. be. So that's another thing that's definitely overlooked. So imagine if you were in your club and you knew every Wednesday for three hours there's a coach there with a helper, and your kid can turn up and play. And he's not, oh, I missed this hour. No, no, we're flexible mm. within reason. You don't want a four-year-old against an eight-year-old. But, mm. you know, if the six-year-old can't make the, the first hour, can he go in with the seven and eights? Give it a go. Mm-hmm. If he's really struggling, then, okay, we need to address it, but give it a go because that's what we done as kids, you know? So mm. why not have that once a week, you know, you can, that kind of drop-in, drop-out culture? I know that as a, in terms of as a business, that could be difficult. Like, mm-hmm. we take payment every five weeks. So it gives a little bit of, like... You know, a little bit of something, but you're not signing your life away three, four hundred quid in the middle of yeah. the middle of August for the for the whole year, and you don't really know where you're at. You know? mm. And yeah. I think I, I, my my dream is, and if I had the time, I would love to trial it. And I know there's lots of logistical things about it. Would be to to rent two astro pitches and have twenty bibs, you know, orange and red or whatever, yeah. and send a text around and get the first twenty names in and say, come up and play. And give out the bibs and let them play for an hour and send them home. Do you know what I mean? And just like almost formalize a kind of a a five aside culture for teenagers. Yeah. Do you know? and, and I just think if I was doing my leave insert and the w- one thing I really enjoy is 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 playing football, but I don't have the time to do training Tuesday, training Thursday, match Saturday. So I give up, have to give up the whole thing rather than you know. And and what we're what we're doing is we're driving kids into gyms. Because the gym is the only one that you can do on your own time. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That you don't have, you know, um, yeah. and, and now we're kind of creating kind of very isolative sport, which I don't think you benefit from the collegiality and the community of the belongingness of a team. Do you know what I mean? So, and you have to remember as well that I think it's 99.2% of kids don't become yeah. a footballer. <laughs> so yeah. like now don't get me wrong there's lads out there playing Leinster Senior and they're Jesus just as committed as League of Ireland but mm. I mean I don't know what the next stat is but if many people just do it or just stop doing it you know why not have that culture where they turn up and where they just play once again mm. I really I get what you mean by the teenage years but that needs to start there needs to be a culture of that from when you're younger oh you play for mm. whoever it may be whatever the local team is 
okay, yeah, I might pop in this Wednesday to do the little five-a-side game, you know, and mm-hmm. have a little bit of structure, maybe just a quick warm-up, because mm. everyone's, like, from my own experience, you know, mm. people turn up late, warm-up for 10 minutes, bang, go into your matches, you know, and once again, you're, you're overseeing it as opposed to stop, stand, still, yeah. and coaching it, and that's mm. kind of, honestly, the more I do it, every day I see it, I'm just, what we do at Emerald is replacing what the kids done on the street. And it's mm. really like it, it's highly, highly beneficial. The same thing if you have a piano and you're not learning, if you're only doing your lessons or a guitar, you're only going, you're mm. only practicing at your lessons, you're never going to get better, you know. And it's like that other stuff that people say you, you don't become a top level player by just play, tr- playing for your hour on Tuesday and Thursday, you know what I mean? And, yeah, and it, it's all the stuff you do in between. But interesting stat on the the 1% of kids will make it to the, the elite level. Um, 26% of parents believe their child will make it to the elite level, which means yeah. you've so got... There's a lot of unhappy parents. <laughs> exactly, there, right? exactly. Um, but look, Kieran, it's been an absolute pleasure. Before I go, if listeners were interested in finding out about Emerald, is it one location or where are you based or how... Yeah, so the way we work, we are in... I'll just read it off. It's Nace on a Monday... Tala on a Tuesday, Castleknock on a Wednesday, Drada on a Thursday, Blackrock on a Friday. We also have a Carlo and Lucan venue. It's uh, providing, it's sorry, it's a little bit difficult at the moment just trying to get indoor venues because we do everything indoors. Right. People say, why are you doing it indoors? Because it's going to be two degrees and torrential rain for probably three months. And mm. We're trying to run a business. So at least if you're bringing your child to football training and you're waiting for that text because you're looking outside, it's two yeah. degrees. With Emerald, it's on. It's always on. And the parents love it as well. We're also in Swords on a Friday as well. Uh, always looking for new for new areas. We've got loads of coaches from our summer camps. Summer camps have actually been booming because of the because of the COVID, which has been great for mm. us. Although outside that was obviously pretty mm. much dead. But look, we're, we're back the last couple of weeks. Um, you just send a message in to just send your child's name, age, and then the location. So, for example, Nace or Tala, you send that to 085-128-9566. Uh, we're on Instagram and on Facebook as well. You can pop us a message and I'll be able to, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And we can look after anyone on any any kind of communities and stuff that's looking to try get this type of thing in the community. Feel free to give us a message. I'm open to anything, you know, whether it's teenagers, primary school children is what we do at the moment, but it'd be great as well. Brilliant. Kieran, I don't think it's the last time we'll have spoken together. I have a feeling I might be coming back to you. On yeah, things, we might uh, throw a few ideas around <laughs> and, and, and try to work something out. It sounds good to me. Superb. So that's Emerald Football. You can get Emerald Soccer, on. yeah. Emerald Soccer. You can get that on uh, Instagram and, and uh, just give us that number again. Yeah, 85. the phone number again is 085-128-9566. So that's your text system. Send your message in. You're on the text system then and then we'll form you of an, if, you know, if ever trophy presentations and whatnot we do give every child a trophy and a certificate at the end of the term so it's a nice little tool for the children to kind of have that little motivation to come back and the motivation to to kind of work towards we do a thing called uh, player of the term and then skill points so it's not just oh you're the best player you're going to get this trophy no it goes to the kids uh, attitude and application over ability superb superb Karen Fadden it's a pleasure chatting to you and thanks a million for joining us on the Asking for a Parent podcast sent with Kieran Fadden, Emerald Soccer, uh, and you can find him uh, through those local channels. And if you did miss the number, we're on a podcast, so you can just rewind that back, get your pen and paper and write it down uh, and get in touch with Kieran. Kieran, thanks ever so much. No problem, thank you. That was Kieran McFadden there, and I'm 
Really grateful to have a chat with Kieran. There are far too many uh, bad news stories when it comes to children's sport in the media at the moment. And it's nice to hear that there are initiatives around engaging children in social sport. And I know there are other initiatives in the GNA, GAA and things about Gaelic for Moms and social hurling and other things across the board. So although things are pretty bleak in terms of news stories around games getting cancelled, referees getting abuse and parents fighting on the sidelines. It's good to know that there are some people who are doing their bit to keep sport fun and to keep people engaged and participating. And remember, playing for as many, playing for as long as possible. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the chat with Kieran, and we'll chat to you again in December for the Christmas episode. But until then, take care, stay safe and bye for now.